Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Happily Ever Random. I'm Ginny, and I am with my brother Troy. Hello. And, oh, hi Troy, sorry. <laughs> and we are joined by our cousin Justin tonight as well. I'm glad to be back. Yay! Hey guys, guess what? What's up? It's our 20th episode. Jesus. Can you all believe it? I honestly cannot believe we've been recording this much. It's so exciting. <laughs> so it, it, it really doesn't feel that we've made it this far. I'm kind of proud of ourselves. Oh, doggies. <laughs> Justin has dogs, so apologize for the dogs barking in the background, guys. <laughs> so, all right, Troy, what are we doing tonight? All right. Uh, so tonight we are going with our uh, usual themes of every five. This one is going to be another Harry Potter episode of Ooh. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. This is when it starts getting really good. <laughs> and this is actually, <laughs> both of you, your favorite book, correct? No, yes. this is Justin's favorite book. This yes. is like my, my like book. second favorite. So Half-Blood gotcha. Prince is my favorite book. Gotcha. Well, so. Jen, you'll probably be happy to have someone else in here that actually knows the books this time. I know. It's so <laughs> exciting. Every other time, I don't know anything about the books. <laughs> I know. Justin, actually, you actually asked to be on this episode, Justin, because it's your favorite book. So Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I'm a fan of Quidditch, but um, I like the idea of something different right here in the yeah. series. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was I never, I never thought of it that way. I know. I actually have a point to make about the no quidditch thing later on in the episode. We'll talk about it. <laughs> but um, as usual, of course, disclaimer, adult language, be, you know, and adult, maybe a little bit of adult content, because this is actually the first book and movie that we have our actual first murder. <laughs> so a little bit of adult content there. Yeah. Um, and of course, spoilers. Um I feel like the last episode we did, Troy, when it was the Troy Reads a Book episode, it was like we constantly said spoilers, spoilers, spoilers throughout the entire episode. And I don't want to do that again. So we're just going to put a huge disclaimer right now at the very beginning of the episode. This entire episode is going to be spoilers if you have not read the books or seen the movies. I'm not going to well, say it again. And if you haven't, <laughs> where have you been? Yes. Right, exactly. I feel like if you <laughs> if you don't know the story to this by now and you are a Harry Potter fan, then yeah, exactly. whatever you get. <laughs> so, uh, but we will, of course, you know, be going into a lot of detail about not just this book and movie, but we might talk about, you know, stuff that has to do with future events in the series as well. So there is that. But all right. So Goblet of Fire. Troy, what is the plot of Goblet of Fire? So um, this one is, it's the fourth movie and book in the series. Um, and in this one, we find uh, Harry is returning for his fourth year at Hogwarts, um, alongside with his friends, of course, Ron and Hermione. Um, in this book, there is an upcoming Triwizard Tournament that is held between three of the major magic schools. Um, in this tournament, one participant is selected by each school by the famous Goblet of Fire. Um, when Harry Harry's name is drawn from the Goblet of Fire, even though he's not eligible, he is a fourth player, and he must compete in this dangerous contest. Dun, dun, dun. 
<laughs> so I like to call this one Harry Potter and the year no one got a haircut <laughs> when talking oh, about the movie. <laughs> we're talking about the movie for sure. Yes. Like they all, Harry, like, Ron, the twins. Early 2010s or whatever <laughs> um, shagginess haircut that everybody yes. had at the time. This was 05 when this came out. So I so, mean, yeah. it was about the time that me and my friends grew our hair out long. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was, so, I was so. just thinking that actually. I was thinking Troy had that shaggy mop about that time. Uh, <laughs> yep. So uh, I would have been to see '05. I was 25, but I, I was I never 19. had that. Like I was a few years ahead of the shagginess. My hair yeah. was always short. I tried growing it out long at one point, and it was the worst decision ever. So like, that's never <laughs> happened again. It was like six into sixth grade, going into seventh grade for me, something like yeah. that. Yeah, when, just about... when I had the hair grown out. <laughs> yeah. I'm so but... much older than all of you. Um, Justin, well, Jay, tell you me were the you... first. So. <laughs> True. <laughs> Justin, tell me if you agree with this, because I kind of feel like the book and, and the movie theme, but especially the book, because it really goes into more detail, is very much like the theme of it is like the end of innocence, like innocence lost, kind of, you know? Well, it's that typical mid-series coming-of-age story the characters yeah. are now they're starting to recognize members of the opposite sex they're starting to learn more in-depth magic if, if anything mm -hmm. it's, this is the book where everything starts going a little bit darker and yeah. a little bit um you know the magic spells and things like that get much more intricate they're much yeah. more powerful they learn yeah you know, stunning spells they learn you know so it i i agree with that i mean the the end of innocence the end of that preteen yeah i feel like it story. it was definitely kind of where this one was definitely where it really proved that it was more than a kid story Right. Well, you and, know, and, and I think one scene, like it wasn't just was, a children's book anymore. You know yeah, what I mean? Well, and in both the book and the movie, I think the scene that points it out the most is like at the Yule Ball when um, Hermione is coming down the stairs. It's like everybody recognizes her as a girl for the first time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? She's not, not just one just, of the guys. She's not just a nudge, nudge. Hey, you're one of the guys. Exactly. Yeah. She she becomes that alternate. You know persona maybe if yeah. you want to think of it that way she yeah she, you know they all do that and and that's a, a big theme in this is that turning it over from them being kids into them now being adults because mm -hmm. we all know where I, the story leads from here i did really enjoy the whole like opposite sex theme throughout the whole thing like coming to view the opposite sex as like more than just a friend, you know, like the whole hormonal thing, teen hormones coming in and everything. Like I, I found that really fun. In well, this right. And, and this goes into some of the topics we're going to discuss too. And I, I think another scene that points that out perfectly is the scene with uh, Cho and Harry when they're up on up near the Owlery mm -hmm. after he's sending the out awkwardness. Right, the yeah. awkwardness and the, you know, even the book spells it out perfectly when it smashes all of his words, words together, together. one giant word. You know what I'm saying? So you know what was trying to be portrayed yeah. there, they got perfectly in the movie. So, I feel like Daniel uh, Radcliffe played that that awkwardness really well. But I think it helped, though, that because I've watched like interviews and like behind the scenes stuff, though, because they were all that actual age. 
when they right. were filming this. So they were actually going through those awkward stages that the characters are going through. And I've read some things on that too, that some of the kids, you know, there were dating going on on the set. Yeah. Like that. I mean, because they had all been together and studying school wise, you know, they all mm -hmm. went to school together on set. Yeah. I mean, so they had the typical everything that was going on. They would have been what? They're like 13 14, at that time, 14. 14. So yeah. ninth grade-ish, 10th grade-ish, if we want to put yeah. that in primary school terms. I mean, and, and we all know where we were in yeah. ninth or 10th grade. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, it, it was awkward, but it was. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, go ahead and have you two kind of geek out about the books a little bit more <laughs> and give me uh, start going to these categories. So you have best and worst book to movie changes. Yes. Jay, you want to start us off or you want me to start it off? I usually um, start with best first and then go into worst. So, <laughs> so. so let, me, let me give a little disclaimer of my own here then, because I feel like this is the best book. I also kind of feel like this was the best adapted book to the movie. Um, do you really? So I, I, I do. don't. I, I do on a lot of things. And, and I think now they changed some things, no doubt. Yeah. There were things yeah. that were left out that were important. Of course, they have to. And, make and we'll talk about those and worse changes. <laughs> but okay, so for instance, I'll, I'll kind of cheat here a little bit um, on, on the best book to movie change, which I also think is possibly the worst book to movie change and that being the fact of uh when the two uh brother sister schools are introduced um at the great hall um the entrances uh of both the uh Darren Strang and Bo Batten's uh students um uh, I thought that was just a, a beautiful part of the movie and the way that you know the girls mm -hmm. came and with the flow, visually. And, uh, the visually, and then the yeah. boys, I think the Dernstrang with the, the sticks and the sparks yeah. and the spinning and the snake fire and all that stuff. I mean, it was just beautiful. But then at the same time, um, they portrayed those schools in the movie as being all, an all-girls school and an all-boys school, mm -hmm. which they were not right. in the book right. and in Pottermore and in the lore and however you want to look exactly. at it. Those schools are not... Um, same not sex same schools. sex schools exactly so I think like I said I'm in cheat there a little and say that's possibly the best and worst change um, it was visually done really well their, their entrances I think that like you said visually it was very beautiful their, right. the way and that it, they did it and it's hard to portray in written word the, mm -hmm. the, the dancing and the yeah. The, the spell casting that was going on during the entrances and how they all like to, you know, like Dumbledore said, they all like to play it up for each other and make a Yeah, and show off a little. <laughs> and it, it's just hard to put that into words. And I think they did that beautifully in the translation, even yeah. though it may not have matched up in sync with what they did in the book. I think it was a mm -hmm. beautiful translation from the book to the movie. Yeah. One thing I always thought, especially when seeing those scenes, is did they only pick... 20 students to go study somewhere so, else so yeah actually both schools picked like they brought a shortlisted group okay. of students from each school to hogwarts and then let those students put their names in and then the goblet chose which one they wanted 
it wanted. Right, and the fact that from the other two schools, they brought nothing that's of, but students that were of age. Um, yeah. None of the younger first year, second year, third years, you know, none of those age groups were brought. So I don't know what the size of those schools were. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but um, they did bring like a short list of candidates. Gwynnie is really wanting to say hello, guys, behind Justin. <laughs> she really wants to tell us how much she likes this book. <laughs> See, because I didn't, I didn't know about that. So I don't, I normally geek out about like lore and looking into things yeah. and stuff like that, but I haven't done it as much into Harry Potter. Yeah. And I've always wondered that as why are these schools so small? And, no, actually both of those <laughs> schools are bigger than Hogwarts. They are bigger than Hogwarts. So um, I don't know if you do. We'll Potter actually go. We'll actually go into the schools on the random facts of the day because that's actually part of my random facts of the day at the end of the episode is we're going to talk about all the magical schools of the Harry Potter okay. universe. So, so I'll leave it then for later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what else you got for best changes, Justin? Um, well, I mean, there's, like I said, in my opinion, there was... Um, It was such a good translation between the two that I don't have a whole lot. Um, personally, I think one of the best changes from the book to the movie was the leaving out of the skew. Um, yes. That was, that was never a yes. favorite part of mine. Leaving out the, the what? <laughs> so the it's actually S-P-E-W, Justin. S-P-E-W, <laughs> skew. Uh, the Society for the Protection of Elvish Welfare, I believe. Elvish Welfare. Elvish yeah. Welfare, where uh, Hermione created a, like a uh, public service nonprofit to um, try to get house elves their freedom. And it to me, it just became a part of the book that actually even through the next book or two, I think, um, just kind of drug it down just a little yeah. bit. Just, uh, just kind I of mean, something extra they it, didn't need. It was, it was. I mean, I get why she did it. Like it was an important thing, yeah. But I feel well, like and, it could have been just like, as successful without it. Right, and causes like that are. I think it was done to show that you know causes like that are part of the Muggle world, mm -hmm. and um, it, it meant. I think it was meant to bring about her Muggleness. Yeah. You know, I think it in those terms. Yeah. Um, and it was just one of those things that I did not really care for yeah. um now um in the book to the movie changes um there were a few things um i did like um i'm actually as you know from the last comment not a huge fan of the house elves personally um i didn't really care for for those characters um and i like the fact that they cut them out quite a bit from the book are you now, talking Do like dobby no, and no, winky dobby Dobby's another thing, but, uh, you know, in the, I didn't like, maybe it's the way they were portrayed in the movies. I didn't like the voices and stuff like okay. that. Because that's just not how I pictured them in my head. Okay. So, um, I, I didn't care. I was about to say, if you tell stuff. me you don't like Dobby, we're going to have so some issues. No, no. So less, <laughs> less house self action, you know, and it's one of the changes they made. They, you know, they, from the, let's see, it was the second second movie where um dobby was that um they didn't he didn't come back in the movies until like the fifth or sixth one he doesn't come so, back he doesn't come back until maybe even the seventh one um i think he comes in for like a little bit of order of the phoenix 
I think. Oh, yeah, because um, um, him and Creature go after Mandanga's Fletcher. So, um, no, that's in it. Deathly Hallows in the movies. Well, I think that's where he comes back to. So, but movie. I think in the movies he comes in like for a few minutes in Order of the Phoenix or something, but then he doesn't come back until Deathly Hallows. Like he's barely in it. So, yeah. um, that's anyway. actually one of my worst changes. <laughs> See, so we're um, going to be opposite on that. Yeah. So some of my, but some of my best changes, um, were, I actually, you know, one of the things I actually did like was that they made the, tr- the champions have uniforms for the tournament for each task in the movie, because in the book, they didn't have them. They just use like, they just wore the regular clothing for every yeah, task. I, I did like how they put hoods on the track and, suits. Yeah. I really liked the, the idea of like them having like custom uniforms and stuff, you know, and like in the underwater task, like they had like that, like leg holster for their yeah, wand like and everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah well, it was like, was really like that wet, the wetsuit they had or whatever. It was yeah, like I just thought it was a really wetsuit. cute little change, and you know. I do like that they made the difference between Harry's and Cedric's. Like they put the colors for their of, houses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they put the colors for the houses. So I did yeah. like that they had the difference. And and one thing, it's kind of a good change because of a bad change for me. So. I liked that they had Fred and George running like the gambling ring for all the tasks, mm-hmm. but it was because they cut Ludo Bagman out of the book movie. Yes. And he was the one that did all the gambling in the book. Yes. I so, don't even know who he is. And he's actually part of the, part of my worst changes is cutting him out. So we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting but... little side note story in the book. I mean, um, yeah, the Bagman angle. But and then my last best change was um, when Harry returns to the stadium with Cedric's body from the maze. Cedric's dad, Amos Diggory, his grief over Cedric. Like that shot of him like screaming to the heavens while cradling Cedric's body. Like it was just such like a grueling outpouring of emotion and like just a really, really powerful moment. Yes, and I, feel I think like, that was portrayed very well. In the I feel like they needed to needed it because I feel like they needed to make Amos a little more sympathetic in the movie because he really wasn't that great of a character in the book. He's kind of an ass, to be honest. <laughs> But yeah, so, and that was part of the angle of it. I, I think I agree with you on that. That was to give him a bit but, more humanity. Yeah. Than hey, round, to round him out more as a character. Yeah. So my outlook on him is from the movies. In the beginning, he seems like he's that dad who has the all-star ball player son who's so proud of him and tries to show him off. He is. He's like that in the book. Well, and when you're up against Harry Potter, I mean... Yeah. That's the idea so, is he, he's the, the, the pedestal that everyone yeah. believes they're trying to reach, even though we know Harry to be more normal than yeah. everyone who's on. So, yeah. but that's all I had for best. Janina, um, you know, it's kind of weird that you have a multiple best changes because there couldn't be only one best. I can't ever just narrow it down to one thing. You know that. <laughs> 
I yeah, know, I only I had three this time, though. I mean, normally I have more than that. So, you yeah. normally have five or six. On worst, I have one, two, I have four on worst. Uh-oh. Here we go. So, you know. <laughs> um, so, Justin, I'll go into the worst first, and then you can kind of chime in as well. Um, mm-hmm. My first one for worst changes is cutting out some big side characters that they did, like Bill Weasley, Ludo Bagman, Winky, the house elf, and Dobby. The storylines that those characters had, I feel like, were really important. Like, for one, Bill Weasley, he didn't have a huge storyline in the in this book, I know, but this book is how he meets Floor, who he marries in Deathly Hallows. So cutting Doesn't him out of this movie go into them two meeting in the book no. I don't well no it 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 shows them like kind of like making eyes at each other <laughs> okay but it explains later that in the books that that's how they met it was at the tournament right so if you don't have him in this movie then he just randomly shows up in deathly hallows marrying floor delacour and it's like he went to study abroad no sense you know <laughs> he just went to study abroad jen who knows I agree with that. And, and there were some major storylines that are characters that were cut, but they were the only storylines that could be cut in order to make Yeah. Movie. You know, because honestly, I mean, Goblet of Fire is another one that could have been possibly split into two movies. And actually, the screenwriter movies. thought it was originally going to be two movies. Right. Because it's just, I think it's the longest story it is. of all of them. So, it I mean, is. it's the biggest and, book. And I think that this one could have easily been two movies, and the parts they cut out were the only parts they could have. Yeah. So, um, and cutting Ludo Bagman out kind of, I mean, cutting him out without him, it doesn't show the twins betting their entire life savings on the Quidditch World Cup and then losing it. And then it doesn't show Harry giving the twins his tournament winnings to open their joke shop in Half-Blood Prince. So it's like, where the fuck did they get that money from? Because you know the Weasleys are poor. (laughs) So... And we've already talked about Dobby. It kills me that Dobby was not shown, doesn't show up again until like Deathly Hallows. Because Dobby is such an integral character to this entire series and to Harry. And his death is such a big impact on Harry. And for him to just show up from, not show up from Chamber of Secrets all the way to Deathly Hallows is just insane to me. So. That's fair. (laughs) And one of the biggest ones to me was cutting out Winky, the house elf. I think that's one of the biggest, worst changes they could have done. The only thing I think would, that is bigger is cutting out Barty Crouch Jr.'s backstory. But Winky is just as well, is vital to Barty Crouch Jr.'s backstory. I kind of I disagree with you, too, on the cutting Barty Crouch Jr.'s backstory out. There was a whole section on him getting caught in the But they completely changed it. They did. Agreed. He wasn't caught with the Death Eaters torturing them. He was given up by um, Karkaroff. Karkaroff, yeah, from Dernstream. And so, but I think they did go into that and they had to change it, obviously, if they were cutting Winky out of the story. 
Well, and, but the thing that bothers me about cutting, changing his backstory or cutting his back or however you want to word it is he just, in the beginning of the movie, he's there in the first like 30 seconds of the movie in the Riddle House with Voldemort and Wormtail. And then he's at the, and then he just appears at the World Cup to like cast the dark mark, you know? And it's like, who is he? Where did he come from? How did he, you know, once you find out who he is, you're like, how did he get out of Azkaban? And it's never really explored. Well, I think you're meant to believe that he broke out of Azkaban at the same time as uh, uh, Bellatrix is strange. And- no, because she gets out in Order of the Phoenix. Voldemort oh, breaks them out in Order okay, of the Phoenix. I'm, not, I'm out of order. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so it just kind of leaves plot holes for people <laughs> that have never read the books. It's like, where did he come from? How did he get out of Azkaban? You know what I mean? Agreed. So, but I think that's too where knowledge of the books actually hurts you when you go to watch the movies because yeah, I think you you take him as a character as as is if you've never read the books, but you he is a fully developed character. Like Troy, did you think any of that? Those questions that I asked were did those any of those come to mind when you watched the movie? No, I just. If- Watching the movie, he just comes up as one of the bad guys. Right. Exactly. I mean, well, and that's, exactly, that's exactly my point, is he can be treated that way. As far as the movie goes, I feel like he can be treated as just the bad guy because either one, you've read the books, yeah. or two, you don't necessarily need it. Because of the way he's described and portrayed in the movie. Maybe I'm just a stickler for details. Coming from someone (laughs) who hasn't read the books and only seen movies, uh, not knowing his background is also the same thing as seeing Voldemort as a tiny baby being dropped in a cauldron. Like, why is he a little tiny baby that just gets dropped somewhere? (laughs) I mean, I I don't know. know, Which you know in the books because they explain all that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's just he's the dark Lord who somehow brought himself back to this form. And now they're making him bigger, (laughs) making him bigger. (laughs) Basically. That's awesome. Um, I actually, okay. I actually had five. I'm sorry, Troy. Now four. So you, one, one little interruption on that. You two there um, with the two dark, well, not dark ones necessarily. Although Voldemort did have the elder one for a bit. Um, well, and Grindelwald had it back in the day, so technically you can call it a dark what, wand. <laughs> what is the spell for casting the dark mark? Moore's Mortar. Or Moore's Mord. I don't know how to pronounce Moore's, it. Moore's Mordre is how I Moore's Mordre. There we go. I've heard it. <laughs> it's only said once in the whole book. Yeah. Or in the whole series. It's only said once. Yeah. So. Yeah. Was it in this it was. It's, and it was both in the book. Um, they they, and it's Barty Crouch Jr. who says it both times. If, if you remember, after they came marching through in the uh, the the Quidditch World Cup, the one guy came out, picked up the wand. I think it was Harry's wand, even. But he picked well, in up the book. The wand it was. I don't know if it was in the movie. The spell of the dark. I don't think it was. And, and it's more and more true. Yeah. So. Let me ask you a question, Justin. Um, the third task mm-hmm. in the movie, 
does it bother you that there's basically like no point to the actual task? Wait, so the, <laughs> you're talking about the, the maze? Yeah. The, yeah. Well, that's actually <laughs> one of, well, that's actually one of my worst or probably my worst moment in it is all of the, um, that's one of my worst changes is the all third of, task. Well, it's all of the obstacles that were missing uh, yeah. from the third task. Now, yeah. they did a good job in the movie with the moving uh, head. I mean, yeah, visually, it's great. But that's just not how it was. They had to use magic to overcome obstacles in the Yeah, maze. I mean, there were like so, boggarts, um, giant blast, spiders, the blasted scroots. The sphinx. <laughs> there was possibly there was a sphinx. Never. The Sphinx with, was the shortest route to the Triwizard Cup. With that riddle. It had a great riddle. the riddle, the Sphinx would attack you. Yeah. So, and, and, but you had to answer a riddle. <laughs> but in the movie, there's just like, what, some weird fog and some wind? It's fog and wind, and then, well. And the, the roots, like, bring you in or whatever. Right, and then the roots bring you in. Yeah. And, you know, of course, uh, Victor was under the Imperious Curse. And I believe it was the same way. In that the, was one of my questions. And, yeah, and it's not explained in the movie, who, but it is in the who did book. that? Moody. Moody. So, well, so Moody, 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 Moody. So let's call him Bardi. He was patrolling the edge of the maze, and when Victor got close to the edge, he cast the spell to leave the maze. Into, mm -hmm. into Victor. I also have another question about the maze. If the chick, Flower, is that her name? Fleur? Flower. Flower. If, if she didn't complete the second task, why was she able to to continue in the tournament? Well, it's like they gave her a really or was bad it point based. Well, they gave her a really bad advantage. Like she had to wait like ten minutes or something after Harry and Cedric. And it was point based it, as well. Yeah, it was point based, and and it translated into her losing time. So like. Because uh, that wasn't in the movie either. Well, think supermarket sweep. The first people get to go out to the sweep first. Then 20 seconds later, somebody else gets to go yeah. out. Then 30 seconds later, somebody else yeah, gets to go out. Yeah, she just had a time delay. She had to wait yeah. like 10 or 15 minutes or whatever it was because, before she could enter. Yeah, because in the movie, all you see is she's getting just the roots are, con are bringing right. her into the yeah. hedges. Right. So yeah, in the books, it's actually explained that she had to wait and and wait on uh, other people. To mm -hmm. That's play. that's one thing that, and this might be me being a stickler for details at this one point, <laughs> but if the movie is, if the like the main point of it is about the tournament, not the underlying you know topics of the movie, but the main point is this tournament. They don't explain the tournament. Yeah. It's just, it's a tri-wizard. You could die. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they should have, like, changed the name of it after Harry got chosen to, like, quad wizard tournament. Well, it, isn't it tri-wizard because <laughs> the three schools? I know, but still, there's four people. So let's just, can we just call it quad wizard? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have one final worst change. Um, Justin, do you remember at the end of the book... After, after Voldemort returns, Harry comes back with Cedric's body, and Harry is in the hospital, 
and like Dumbledore and the Weasleys and Sirius and Snape and everybody's gathered in the hospital wing. Dumbledore has that like call to action speech basically yeah. where he like asks Molly if he can count on her and Arthur Arthur. Um, he then has Sirius and Snape like acknowledge each other and shake hands and come to terms with each other. He sends Sirius to um, quote unquote alert the old crowd which yeah. was like Remus Lupin, Arabella Fig, Midnungus Fletcher, like the original order. Mm -hmm. And then sent Snape to Voldemort to become a, a spy for him. So he's essentially starting up the Order of the Phoenix again. And right. I just think it was a really important scene, especially sending Snape to off to Vol Voldemort. And I really, really wish we would have gotten that. Agreed. I like and, that. And I, I feel like, I feel like what, what should have been in place of that, like the scene that they should have taken out and put that in instead is that stupid scene between the trio where Hermione's like, everything's going to change now, isn't it? Oh, and yeah. Harry is just like, yeah. Sappy, sappy moment. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I mean yeah. oh shit, I almost died. Like, I know, like, come on. <laughs> I feel like it would have been more effective if they would have done that, like, Dumbledore call to action speech instead. So, I've never even heard this action speech, and I think it would have been better than that. Yeah, it definitely, most definitely, would have been better than that. Um, I have a question before we move on to the next topic. Purple. Got it. Um, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. But <laughs> I've always wondered this, and I, I don't know if it's ever explained or not. Okay. But if, if Hermione is a muggle, how is she so good with magic? Because she's a bookman. Is that really why? I, I'm actually asking because she studies, if, you're, if you're born in the world, then you just so have... much to. Because she recognizes her own half bloodedness, she studies so much to overcome that that she ends up being the best which of her class so it's like your it's like your valedictorian you know what i'm saying they, yeah they over, uh, i, they I tend, was just seriously wondering no they tend to they tend to overstudy they want to be the best they perfect everything they learn ahead you know what so I'm like saying? the opposite of you troy <laughs> <laughs> they, they take as many classes as possible they you know so that's exactly what her mind was and i just think personally that it was to overcome her half-bloodedness yeah okay i was just wondering and just because we'll get to this down the road when we get to deathly hollows but one of the one of the memes is of when they're fighting like in that diner in the real world mm -hmm. and it's showing like their technique with the wand or whatever i showed you that, that one. it kind of yeah it, it just i kind of thought about that when it came to her yeah. knowing magic so i was just wondering yeah yeah. Okay, I was just wondering. Do you have any we, more we uh, book to movie changes, Justin? Because I'm done. No, I mean you co we cover a lot of it. You know what I'm saying? There's. I mean, I'm sure there'll reading. be more that we just right. tidbits that we talk about later on too. So well, and that, right, exactly. A lot of this is probably going to be brought up later. So um, no, I'm good with exactly what. I'm okay. About. Troy, you want to start us off with the next yeah. category then? Is it, is it my turn to talk now? It's your turn to talk now. <laughs> um, so next is going to be best magic, but it's also going to be kind of one of my 
bad adult moments. <laughs> You're um, going to combine them both? Yeah. Uh, it's when, and of course, at this time, we don't know that it's Barty Jr., but when Mad-Eye is showing them... Bardi. I like to call him Bardi. <laughs> Bardi <laughs> is showing the class the unforgivable curses. That's actually my bad and, adult moment. <laughs> and clearly, on Hermione's desk, he uses the killing curse. Like, what if he just, like, his eye twitched and he and it was hit wrong? You know what I mean? Like, Hermione's desk. You're meant to think that it's Mad-Eye, this horror, who's gone... A crazy. little crazy with the with everything he's seen and done. Which, to but, be fair, the real Moody is kind of really that crazy. And he is, but he's crazy <laughs> like, like he's crazy good. Like yeah. everything is done for a good purpose. Yeah. He yeah. he hates the dark more than just about anyone. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. But I think in this case, because we know that that is Barty Crouch, or at least if you didn't, maybe if you're seeing. That, so sorry for the interruption if we got that on tape at all and we had to leave any of it. Uh, but um, okay. like, we all I was, puppers. like I was saying, though, um, I think it's meant uh, you see that Moody is just crazy. The real Moody character is just crazy to be on the good side. And I think that scene that you were talking about, Troy, was for um, I think it was more to show maybe to the people who already know that that's Barty Crouch, how excited he was yeah. to cast those curses in front of all those mm -hmm. little students. Um, and even if not, um, you know, to someone who hasn't read the books, it, it shows and you start thinking like, who's this Moody guy? Like, what's he up to? You know what I'm saying? Why you is he almost you actually, well, you actually start, and it's meant to be like kind of a, a mystery thing. You, yeah. you actually start doubting Moody. Is he the bad guy? You know, exactly. So, and, and it does that in the movie for you. But if you've read the book and know it's Barty Crouch, I think the way that that character uh, portrayed Moody, um, that he, the joy in his face at torturing that spider. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think that that actor played that, uh, I don't remember who it is, but that actor who played uh, Alistair Donald Moody, Gleason. Donald Gleason, who played Alistair Moody, uh, I think he portrayed very, very mm -hmm. well the, mm -hmm. the sicko ness kind of, of him yeah. uh, enjoying yeah. that so much in front of all those kids. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was my, it's kind of a weird best magic moment, but it was my best magic moment just because. It's your first introduction to all of it in the movies. To the unforgivable curses. Yeah. It's yeah. the first time you ever get to see anything like that. Yeah. What and was yours, Justin? I, well, real quick. Oh, and again, sorry. That I'm was, sorry. That was one of my two bad adult moments that we'll get to. <laughs> Just because, like I said, if his eye twitches wrong, he's killing Hermione. <laughs> so. Um, I think my best magic moment was the, um, the depth that they went into inside of uh like the second task harry turning into the fish with the gilly weed um yeah that was and, really cool and I exploring that. the the depths of the lake with the mer people and all of that i, mm -hmm. I think um, i liked how they did the mer people though because typically when you think of mer people mermaids merman whatever you think of beautiful and like really pretty and like glittery, you know, tails and pretty hair. And then you see them in the movie and you're like, oh Jesus, they're terrifying. I do like that they kept <laughs> the like stereotypical trident with them too though. Yeah. 
I like that. Well, yeah, yeah. they were true mer people, but more closely related to what mer people like the actual actually creatures. look like. Yeah. I mean, if if they, it, you know, I don't know how much you conspiracy theory know, but there's the theory of the aquatic ape um, that. There were, you know, eight tribes that lived on beaches that spent most of their time in the water and eventually became like mer people. So you have like hmm. mermaids, quote unquote, that are these gorillas, for lack of a better term, chimpanzees that have over time evolved to live in the water and now fully live inside the water. So, well, there's also the, I don't know where in the world it is, but there's a tribe of humans that they've evolved to have a larger lung capacity because they mm-hmm. live their how they build their houses on stilts in the water and that is how they get their food right and live. their entire they're world actually fishing yeah their entire world revolves around water and i mean even in a short period of time humans can adapt and with things like greater lung capacity or i think i can hold my yeah, breath yeah. for like 10 seconds underwater right. so <laughs> um, i mean it's just one of those you know even over i would drown time, real quick even over one to two generations, enough traits can change that there's a, an adaptation to the environment you live in. Yeah. Well, well. Let's, let's go back. We can save that for another episode. Let's go back yeah. to Harry Potter real quick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice. Jen, best magic? My, mine was actually the duel between Harry and Voldemort in the graveyard. See, I was going to say that, but I didn't want to be cliche. Yes. I really, I, I feel it. And, and I'm talking about both in the book and the movie. Cause normally, normally, Justin, I normally, I do one moment for the book and one moment for the movie. But for this, I'm actually talking about the same one for both. And the thing that I liked about it though, visually in the movie for one was like the way the beams met in the middle, the way the energy was almost like dripping like liquid, you know, like visually it was amazing Mm -hmm. but also considering how important wand lore becomes and the twin cores Mm -hmm. of those two wands become to this story i like that we got a moment to just focus on that 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 is one thing that connection you know what i mean that is is one thing you have to you kind of have to know about though looking at this duel is about the Mm-hmm. the wands and the twin twin cores and everything because in the movie at that scene Voldemort uses the Vada Kedavra mm-hmm. and Harry, and Harry uses, uses Expelliarmus yeah, yeah. It, there's no way that those should be equal right. until you get into what you were just saying exactly Agree, but, and I mean they do a pretty good job of hinting at it through the movies, from uh, all the way going back to the very first one when Harry gets his wand. Yeah, and and Ollivander mm-hmm. even in the movies is like curious, you know. Yeah, and, I love Ollivander. Or great. I, you know, when he picks the wand up and says, "I wonder." Yeah, you know? and and so you know something is up even from there, and so mm-hmm. they could have made it look a little cooler. For well, Harry, what, what, to me uh, that. <laughs> the importance of that scene, it, it can't be explained, you know, completely, but the graveyard was exactly the way I pictured it. Mm-hmm. The, the death of uh, Cedric Diggory was exactly the way I pictured it. If anything, that is the best translation from book to movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, and it, I mean, and it, and it, it, oh, yeah. Well, and it introduced, that scene introduced 
Voldemort, for, for well, and, lack of a better... Yeah, and that's uh, the crazy thing, is like, reading this for the first time, or seeing the movie for the first time, you know, whatever, is, you know, before this, you really kind of begin to think, like, the entire series is going to be, like, the end of it is going to be, the end of the series is going to be stopping Voldemort from coming back. Until you get to this one and you realize we're just in the middle of the series and this guy just came back. Mm-hmm. What the oh, hell shit. is going to happen now? <laughs> right. You know? Well, and, and to me, too, that it introduced Ray Fiennes as Voldemort. Oh, and, my God. And he, if anything, was so much more than I pictured him to be. I don't think anyone could have been better. No. There, there's nobody, uh, and especially if you've seen his performance in Red Dragon, which is um, no. one of the, it's one of the, it's a, like the prequel story to Silence of the Lambs. Um, and if you've seen Red Dragon, he plays a character similar to Voldemort in Red Dragon. And I mean, it's just, he is Voldemort persona, personified yeah. and, and always will be. I And actually, this is something that I originally made a note on to talk about in that details I can't not talk about section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but since we're talking about him now, I'll just say it now. That the scene where he comes back and like he stands there and like he like is like running his hands over his head and like his neck and everything, like and almost like making mm-hmm. sure that it actually worked. Mm-hmm. That was just I loved that scene. Like I feel like he was perfect right there agree. i just felt yeah. i just thought he did so yeah. good agree 100 percent. i mean he 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 is Voldemort, just yeah. like james earl jones is is darth vader you know what i'm saying <laughs> he he is Voldemort. and daniel radcliffe is harry potter <laughs> and daniel radcliffe will be harry potter forever i mean just it's it's unbelievable that the casting mm-hmm. that they did for that part yes and it's, you know, I've, I've, I've read or watched interviews and behind the scenes stuff. And, you know, of course he didn't, they didn't do like prosthetics on his face or anything. They did CGI to mm-hmm. do the, the snake like nose. So when they're recording, he just has like the green dots on his face yeah. with makeup on. And the rest of the cast said, even just with the green dots on his face, he was still terrifying oh, yeah. when they were shooting. Yeah, I was like, I've, you I've know you gotta be like good. I mean, you know that, you gotta be good if you're terrifying with tiny little green dots all over your face. <laughs> didn't he improvise a lot of his, not a lot of his stuff, but he some did. of the stuff in Harry Potter? Some yeah, of he it, did. yeah. He yeah. was given a lot of freedom, and then, you know, he actually asked to have that hook put on the end of the wand. Yeah. Um, so he could hold it a certain way. So he could hold yeah. it kind of like, and the, the hook caught on his pinky, so it looked like he was magically... You know, like yeah. exactly, like, like floating, <laughs> almost like floating yeah. the wand in his hand. Yeah. I mean, so he he took that character and just ran with it. I mean, and it only got better throughout the rest of the yeah, games. yeah. So okay, well, Troy kind of already gave us his bad adult moment. I have another one. Was oh, okay. Well, do you want to do yeah. your second one then, uh-huh. or sure. do you want somebody else to start? Okay, no, there it is. It it uh goes to one to a gentleman that we said on I don't I don't know if it was the last one or the one before. Uh Lucius Malfoy. Lucius <laughs> like, or Lucius? 
I don't fucking know. I always, Lucius, said, Lucius. I always said Lucius. I always said but Lucius. Okay, anyways. At the at the Quidditch World Cup, how whenever they see Harry and the Weasleys and everyone going up, he like mm-hmm. grabs his hand with his cane and he says something about like you'll find out later or something like that. Like mm-hmm. basically like you're gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, at that moment, I almost want to say the bad adult moment right then in that scene should be Mr. Weasley for not stopping him and being like, hey, back the fuck off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know? True. I just don't like the Malfoys, so that's why I keep putting them in there. Honestly, they should all be in prison. <laughs> like, why are they not in Azkaban? All of them. Like, him, Narcissa, and Malfoy. I mean, and Draco. Why are they not in Azkaban? <laughs> I think it says, like... They made a deal. They made deals with. Um, no, Lu- Lucius said that he was under the Imperius curse during the first Wizarding War. That's what he claimed to the. Ministry. No, during the first one, but I don't know how they stayed out of jail after the second one. Oh, they made deals. Yeah, they made deals. So. Yeah. I didn't know this. Yeah. <laughs> so. I need um, to do a deep dive into this lore now. You do. Pottermore. Uh, I know. I love that website. So one of mine, actually mine, is part of your first one, Troy. Mine was just basically all of, Bar- I'm calling him Bardi for the rest of the episode. I'm sorry, guys. All of Bardi's teaching moments, um, demonstrating the unforgivable curses, turning Malfoy into a ferret, <laughs> that was throwing it's, chalk at Seamus, throwing chalk at Seamus in the class. Like, that was it. really like, funny, though. Okay, <laughs> he could then, literally shoot anything at him when he throws a piece of chalk. At I know him. throwing the chalk was funny, but like, okay, even though I I don't like Draco, okay, turning him into a ferret was actually really horrible. Uh huh. And again, like, he the the joy portrayed in that as he was bouncing, and it up was and actually was worse pretty... in the book uh-huh. too. Because he's like, in the book, he's like slamming him onto the floor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's actually like a horrible thing to do. And then like the whole unforgivable curses thing. Yeah. That it's one. just as bad Okay, in the book. here's the thing that I have against it. One, obviously the killing curse. Showing the killing curse because Harry gets to visually see what happened to his parents. And what almost happened to him. But the one that gets me is the Cruciatus one. That he does that to that spider right in front of Neville. When Neville's parents were tortured that, by him. That was the point, though. I that know. That was the point. I know. It was to do it in I front of Neville. So was. he ran outside of class and was... I know it was, but it kills me every time. To show Harry the gillyweed. I mean, it was all part of that plot. I know that's the plot, but it just kills me every time. No, agreed. And and it's a it would be such a horrible thing to do, you know, in front of you know torturing someone in front of your students. And my thing is, I know that this is not actually Mad Eye Moody, and it's actually Barty Junior. But if you're going to be impersonating someone that's as important and well-known as Mad-Eye Moody, shouldn't you do a little bit of a better job and be on your best behavior? No, because everybody assumed that Mad-Eye took on 
because he was just as bad in catching dark wizards as they were in you know what i'm saying he took every measure to catch those dark wizards up to and including killing them okay I mean, so fair fair Mad okay. Eye was the perfect character for barty crouch to be because okay. he was crazy because people, i'll give you that that's fair right because they, they you know even i think ron says something about it that catching all those dark wizards made him a little crazy or something yeah mm-hmm. you know so okay. um but he was just as bad in catching them as they were in being dark wizards okay fair i'll take i take that back then <laughs> so do you have a bad adult moment justin i'm not any worse than anything we've already talked okay. about I mean, what about a good um, adult moment do you have a good adult moment it would come more from the book and it's the care and understanding that Dumbledore took um, when Harry's name was called from. Instead the, of screaming, uh, did you put your name right, in the Goblet of Fire? Exactly. <laughs> Just a te- that was a terrible translation from book to movie because I mean, Dumbledore <laughs> may have raised Harry like cattle for this whole job, but he cared about him very much. Yeah. I mean, and he never would have put his hands on Harry like that and like slammed him him against the wall. Yeah. That would not have been a a Dumbledore thing. Yeah. I think that would be my bad adult moment, I guess. And good adult moment for the way Dumbledore was in the book. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Troy. Nothing really stuck out as something very good from the adults. (laughs) I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess you could say how, what, what do you call him? Bardi? Yeah. Bardi. Was trying to portray the like professor side of Mad-Eye and was like helping the students with the, or helping Harry try to find the, the tips and tricks for mm-hmm. the tournament. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say that, but I don't, I don't know. Nothing really stuck no. out to me on being good. I actually only have one from the book. I didn't. I didn't pick one from the movie, but I I did pick one from the book, which was Mrs. Weasley, um, and it was in the hospital wing after Dumbledore's call to action speech, right before everyone leaves the hospital before Harry goes to sleep. Mrs. Weasley leans over and hugs him, yeah. and the quote in the book says, "He had no memory of ever being hugged like this, as though by a mother." The full weight of everything he had seen that night seemed to fall in upon him as Mrs. Weasley held him to her. And that just, like, the last time I re- I read the book, like, the last reread I did, when I read that, I, like, almost teared up <laughs> reading that part. So I was like, that is so sweet. And just, like, yeah. so, uh, for of Mrs. Weasley. Well, and she was the first person to ever be kind to him, essentially yeah he was never it doesn't go much into his schooling but you like to think that he was probably bullied he was probably yeah because because big d had all of his friends and and they were the same they were the same age and and you gotta know that he was bullying him with all his friends yeah i mean so it was yeah she was that light in his otherwise dark life yeah so i just really liked that moment so that was my good adult moment Gotcha. Okay. Best and worst characters next. Um, he wasn't 
in this movie for long, but I got to say, and y'all kind of talked about this earlier, my best character is Voldemort. Just with, really? Just with the introduction of him and everything else, because, again, I don't know everything from the books like y'all do. So this is the first time I really get to like see mm-hmm. him and understand like what his power is and things like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. So that's why I put him as best. I have... Well, then who's your worst? One. I have a second one oh. that's kind of like I just really like the character of Mad Eye Moody. <laughs> yeah, even if it was Bart Bart Junior that was doing it, I still like Mad Eye. I, I like Mad Eye throughout the entire rest of the series. I think he's awesome. Yes, mm-hmm. agreed. Uh, my worst. I have two of them, and this just I did not like. You're them worse at than all. me this time. I only have one for each. I know. Uh, it's because I just didn't like them at all. Um, <laughs> one was Rita Skeeter. Oh, just because I thought she was annoying. <laughs> it's even worse in the book, too. And then the second one was Victor Crumb. He had no personality at all. He is so different in the movie than he is in the book. Yeah, yeah in the movie, he's just bland. Doesn't even know oh, how to talk. He's he basically so, like, I am Victor. That's he's it. so talkative with Hermione in the book. And like that whole like line where Hermione is like Victor's more of a physical being yeah it's such bullshit I hated that because that is not in the book like they like he literally before he even like knew anything about like who was going to be in the Triwizard tournament like who was the champions anything he was already going to the the library to try to talk to Hermione Mm -hmm. like he wanted to talk to her Mm -hmm. and like that's all they did was just talk in my in my head, Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy has more personality than this guy, and he can't even say more than three words. Like, I am addicted. Yeah, that's basically what this is. is that he just That's all he says. I will write to you. Got it. That's okay. funny. And actually, in the books, he shows back up in Deathly Hallows for mm-hmm. like one scene for Bill and Floor's wedding. Does he come riding in on his broom? No. But he does well, he show is, up and Ron and Ron steals Hermione away to dance so she doesn't talk to him. Uh-huh. <laughs> it cracks me up. Yeah, no, Victor Victor's kind of a bland character as far as the movie goes. Um my my best character would have to be Barty Crouch. I mean, um, whether he's as Alice Shimody. Um, the in depth courtroom scene and story um, that is in the book um, that describes him and his gang, how they went out to find uh, Voldemort after some rumors and ended up torturing Alice and um, Frank Longbottom um, into insanity. Um, and just, he was called out the same way in court, I believe, um, but not by uh, Karkaroff the way it was in the movie. But um, just overall, I mean, that, that character and the, the plan that he put together was just ingenious. And it was so, so it worked to one extent in the fact that Voldemort was able to rise again, um, but it failed in another extent that he didn't end up killing Harry, which was the ultimate goal when he got back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about worst? Uh, Worst character? I don't know. I mean, there's a few. I don't really care for the Rita Skeeter character, but she's such an integral character in the books. Um, 
I have a mixed fe- I have mixed opinions about her. I don't know. I didn't really care for the character who played Karkaroff in the movie. That's no. not how I, that's not how I pictured him in my mind Mm-mm. from the book. No. So um I guess maybe that would be my It still isn't and Troy and I actually made a comment about this earlier when we were eating dinner. It makes me crack up that a convicted death eater, not just a suspected death eater, but a convicted death eater is the headmaster of a school now. <laughs> so so if I had to pick a worst, I mean I guess maybe that's it. Um, okay. I don't know. They they needed to get him some, a toothbrush or something in Azkaban because his teeth in the movie they are as, as brown <laughs> as my kitchen table is. They were jacked up. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> well, my best, I actually picked Cedric Diggory. You just um, like Robert Pattinson, don't you? No, actually, I, I don't actually think Robert Pattinson is that great of an actor, to be honest with you. I really don't. <laughs> but he was the star of Twilight, Jim. But And I hate those movies. And those. He's also a Batman. <laughs> Which I never but, understood. No, that. I think because, because he is from Hufflepuff and he is so overshadowed by Harry Potter and, and his own death, actually, it's it becomes hard to remember that Cedric was really just a talented, nice kid, kind of like a boy next door type that just wanted to bring a little bit of victory and glory to Hufflepuff that they so rarely got, you know? Yeah. They just so, him like the best student in Hufflepuff. In like a yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah. So Hufflepuffs are just not very notable. And, was yeah. he actually that talented or was it he was yeah. that talented for oh, yeah. Hufflepuff? He was, you know, that high school guy, best in class, smartest, uh, captain of the football team, head boy, you know, prefect, all of that, you know. Yeah. So, but not yeah. just for Hufflepuff, like he was actually that talented. I don't yeah. Oh okay. yeah, and I don't I don't okay. remember if he was I mean, I don't think he would have been chosen not, for but... champion if he wouldn't have been that talented. Right. Because the goblet picks the champion. Yeah. So. so, but my worst is actually, it's actually Ron. <laughs> For this Ron, one. Ron. But you always don't hate so, Ron in the movies. So. No, normal. No, I'm not talking about the movies. I'm talking about book Ron. I know, oh, wow. Normally, okay. I am a. I normally I'm a fan of book Ron. But this book was a rough book for Ron. Yeah, he was a bit of a jerk in this book. It was a rough book. And on my biggest issue was his jealousy. Yeah. The fact, I hate that he actually believed that Harry would enter himself into the tournament. And then he refused to talk to Harry afterwards. Like his jealousy blinded him to the point of turning on his best friend when Harry really needed him the most. Yes. You know, and like, I know Ron has five older brothers, like five older successful brothers. And then Jenny, who was like the long sought after daughter and then befriended like the most famous wizard in the world. I get that. But I still feel like his friendship with Harry was close enough that he should have known Harry well enough to know that something was up and Harry was not the one to do this. Agreed. You know? So that just always bothered me. So that was my worst character. And movie Ron, they just did not portray movie Ron well in any of the movies, I feel. 
I mean, the the actor. Although Rupert Grint. Rupert Grint is amazing. Yes. Rupert Grint is probably the best actor out of all three of them, I, in my opinion. Possibly. But the way they portrayed his character compared to Book Ron was not very well done, yeah. in my opinion. Jenny always calls him a douchebag in the movies. He was a little bit of a douche in the movies. <laughs> definitely Hallows, he for sure was. Yes. Even though it was the Horcrux's fault. Yeah. So... <laughs> So um, then we now have book slash movie winner. So kind of Justin, like who you think like won the overall thing? I picked Voldemort. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant whether the book or the movie was better. <laughs> oh no! Like which character? Um, That's what Troy thought when we first started it. Remember that Troy? <laughs> and I was like, I haven't read the books. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah, to me, to me, it's still the the Barty Crouch, Alistair Moody character. The whole idea of, um, you know, could you imagine drinking Polyjuice potion for months at a time and yeah. staying, having to stay in perfect character twenty four hours a day? You know, I mean, just. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So in both the book and the movie, I think that character and what he has to go through just takes the cake. Yeah, I, I agree. The in the movie, he was definitely one of the biggest parts of the movie throughout that the would, whole thing. That'd probably be my runner-up. My my overall winner is is Voldemort for just returning successfully, finally coming back. And I don't know. So this might be a dumb question. Uh, <laughs> how did how did he become a little like disformed baby? How, how did that? Is that ever really explained? It's not. I mean, uh, other than the fact that it's kind of meant to be like what's left of one of those pieces of Horcrux. That's what's you left know, of his power at that point, basically. Yeah, like that's basically he split himself so many times that once he find, uh, yeah, he he. After the whole thing with uh, in the first one when he was on the back of the guy's head, um, you know, he disappears out into the forest. Maybe it's the drinking of the unicorn blood that gives him some kind of body. Some kind of form. I've always liked to picture it as like what would be inside one of those pieces of portrait. Yeah. That's the only part of him that's left in that part, you know. So he took one piece and then ended up re, re, uh, resurrecting his body through this one piece of soul that he had. Yeah. It makes sense. Like I said, yeah. I just... They don't ever understood. really explain it, though. Yeah, I couldn't remember if they did or not. That's why no, I was like, Justin, book, why don't you no, answer this? In either, in either the book or the movie, they don't explain it, but that's, that's just yeah. how I like to think of it. It is the same that form that shows up tale, in you know, all King's it says Cross and Deathly Hallows at the end. Right, so I mean, so right, so that's that because that's of the part that's left that in mule, Yeah, right, it's that mewling, crying baby, or the way yeah. they describe it, you know, that's wrapped up, and nothing can be helped with that. And yeah. so that's exactly what I pictured, you know, yeah. the piece of Horcrux, a piece of his soul that he's resurrected. Yeah, yeah, and the one in King's Crossing is that piece of his soul that's left in Harry. That's left at inside that Harry. The Horcrux, mm-hmm. the Horcrux, he never meant to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So, all right. So that is all of our categories. Um, we Y'all do get have, to nerd out again? We get, me and Justin, you and I get to nerd out a little bit. Um, <laughs> this is like my favorite section. It's the, I call it the details I can't not talk about. It's just kind of little tidbits that are like either in the few things that are in the movie, but mainly stuff that's in the book that didn't make it to the movie, but I didn't really feel was important enough to put in the book to movie changes, but just things that I just want to bring up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, what, go ahead. I was going to say, I'll start with the the Quidditch World Cup. Um, Actually, my, can I, mine is actually before that, my first one. And it's funny. (laughs) Um, It's actually in the very first chapter when Voldemort and Wormtail are in the Riddle House. And um, Voldemort is telling telling Wormtail that he has a task for Wormtail to eventually do for him. Something important. Something that some of his followers would, quote unquote, give their right hands for. Oh, that's funny. And then later on in the graveyard, in order to bring Voldemort back to full strength, Wormtail has to cut off his right hand. <laughs> Which, I'm that like, knife that he was using? Dude, I'm like, Voldy's got jokes, man. <laughs> that, that knife in the graveyard he was using must have been hella sharp. Right? He's just one slash just went... Well, I know. To, be fair, they can, to be fair, he can use magic. Yeah. Yes, he used a knife, but there's no saying that that knife wasn't bewitched in some way. Yeah. Also, real quick before you continue, Jen, I mentioned earlier that there was something in the graveyard that made me laugh that I wanted to bring up. Oh, yeah. It it was when when Cedric pulls out his wand in the graveyard. He holds it like a gun. He held it like it was a rifle. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I thought that was so weird. He literally did this. I know. (laughs) <laughs> and I, in the middle of watching the movie, I just started laughing because of that. I just thought it was so funny. Star Wizard Championship that better than that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right, Justin, go. Um, oh, so the, the Quidditch World Cup, um, I think in the book it was described well, and I think in the movie it was absolutely beautiful. Um, I would have loved to have seen them... Uh, bringing the teams in with the uh, dancing leprechaun in the sky, which they did to yeah. some extent. But, and then the Vila, and then the reactions the guys had yeah. to Vila and things like, like that. Harry was like okay. trying to climb over the... the right. He looks down and all of a sudden it. he's up on the you know, railing like, yeah. what am I doing up here? <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was done well. Um, and I, and I, I think it could have been expanded more in the movie um, yeah i understand the need the need for time but i think that was one thing that they had a better mm. chance for yeah definitely um one thing that i did like that they did put in while at the quidditch world cup um was the little shots that you see of jenny and hermione walking together mm-hmm. 
Um, like when they're like when they check out Cedric or like goofing off in the tent together, you know, stuff like that. Cause you know, it kind of makes you think like, even though Hermione is best friends with Ron and Harry, she's got to have a really close bond with Jenny also. Mm-hmm. I think you so. Know? So, I mean, think about it. All the times that Harry and Hermione stay at the burrow, Hermione sleeps in Jenny's room. Oh, yeah. You know there was so, girl talk. Yeah, on. exactly. I'm like, you know they're staying up late at night doing, like, girl talk or, like, ragging on the Re- Weasley brothers or something, oh, yeah. you know? So, I really loved that in the movie they showed those little quick little moments that of that bond. Which, by the way, which who or which one of us would not kill for that magical tent? Oh, my God. <laughs> a, a tent the size of a small Coleman that then you go exactly. inside and it's the size of a three-bedroom apartment. Yeah. Exactly. Camping would have been so great growing up if we had Right? That. <laughs> that, would, that would be like one of the things I would take from the magical world if I could. Would be especially, especially for an apocalyptic situation, right? Yeah, like we <laughs> talked about earlier on the last episode I was on, I could definitely exactly. use that. Exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of tents, though, um, Troy, just as for you, because um, Justin, you read this obviously. In the book, it explains like some of the tents that they see at the World Cup. Um, that like their owners had clearly tried to make them as muggle-like as possible, but had slipped up by adding chimneys or bell pulls or weather vanes. Um, there were live peacocks, a tent with three floors, um, a tent with a front garden attached, complete with a bird bath, sundial, and fountain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mr. Weasley even made a comment about like, we can't, you know, we just can't help it when we, when, you know, when we all congregate together, showing we all off. just can't help showing off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I, I love the scenes of interaction with the, uh, the muggles that were taking like the money and stuff for the campgrounds yes. and like they had, they kept having to put that charm on that guy. Cause he kept getting a little yeah. curious at, at all the weird things that people were wearing. <laughs> he, and... he made a comment to Mr. <laughs> Weasley about some guy came up when like, um, uh, uh Oh my god, my mind just went blank. What are those? Like, he uh, came up in like a muumu. A kilt. No, the, yeah. the, he was like a guy came up in a kilt and a poncho. A, and Mr. Weezy nice... was like, "Shouldn't he?" <laughs> well, the guy said he can't. What did he, he needed a nice healthy breeze on his privates. <laughs> That's right. Um, I made a comment earlier in the episode early on about making talking about canceling quidditch for the year. And how I would talk about it later on in the episode. So this is my comment. So the Quidditch season was canceled for the year. But I really don't understand why. Because Dumbledore says it's because of the tournament taking up so much time and energy. Okay? But it's literally three events spread out over months. Yeah, but do you not remember them... Hagrid was growing the maze on the Quidditch field the entire Yeah, but isn't the Quidditch year. Cup completed before the maze? No. The last, the last game of the Quidditch Cup comes right before the end of the school year. Okay. Okay. Well, then, all right. Maybe so, I'm just so not thinking. Maybe I'm thinking it ends earlier than that, well, you know? I already figured out it's, what, four times four teams? That, that, yeah. So it's like 16 Quidditch games or so spread yeah. throughout the year. Yeah. I mean, so the last one would have to be near the end of the year because Harry and them win, and then 
the next scene they're in the great hall doing the points for the end of the year, yeah so. okay okay maybe i guess i was thinking that it ended but the way they, in the air. i i always thought the way they described it in the book was because hagrid was growing the maze by hand and not using magic oh Okay. And it was on I don't the know Quidditch if I ever field, really caught that. So he that. was growing the maze during the whole school year. Oh, I don't know and if I And I think really that's that. part of the reason the Quidditch was canceled. Okay. Okay. Um, but if he was growing it by hand, how does it have magic in it? To Well, it like doesn't. In, in, the, in the book, it doesn't. Uh, the, the maze itself is not magical in the book. That makes sense. Yeah. It's the obstacles that are. Yeah. So... Uh, my next two things are moments in divination class that the first one is just a cool little you know tidbit the second one is funny so there's one moment when professor trelawney says something to harry she says saturn was surely in a position of power in the heavens at the moment of your birth your dark hair your mean stature tragic losses so young in life i think i am right in saying my dear that you were born in midwinter and Harry said, no, he was born in July. <laughs> but Tom Riddle was born in midwinter. Yep. So is Trelawney picking up on the Horcrux piece of Tom Riddle that's inside of Harry? Well, it could be based on the fact that she's the one who ultimately gave that, you know. Um, prophecy? Prophecy. There you go. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. So, she's the one who ultimately gave the prophecy. So um, yeah. I think, yes. Um, she probably is picking up on that because of that. So I thought that was really cool. But then this next one, Troy, you'll think this is really funny. Um, there's a moment when they're talking about like planets and stuff. They're doing like star charts and planet charts. And Lavender Brown <laughs> goes, oh, Professor, look, I think I've got an unaspected planet. Which one is that? And Professor Trelawney says, it is Uranus, my dear. And Ron goes, can I have a look at Uranus too, Lavender? Oh my God. <laughs> Lab Lab. Just give it two more years, Juan Juan. Juan Juan. I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Divination, the most useless so, class imaginable. Yeah. Although the reasons Dumbledore kept Trevani around were obvious, but. Oh yeah. I think I think even Dumbledore didn't believe in the divination. No. I I think it even stated that he didn't even he wasn't even going to hire her until she started making the actual prophecy. And then he realized I can't let this lady go. She's going to be in incredible danger. Well, and that's why he fights for her so hard after she's been, yeah. you know, after she's fired in the next one, you know. Yeah. That's why he fights for her to stay on campus. And yeah. So, um, and then this one, the, these two are kind of connected also. So, you know how Harry tells Cedric that the first task was dragons? So, in return, all Cedric tells Harry about the second one is just to take the golden egg and go take a bath with it. Like, dude, he literally told you the entire fucking task. You can't just return the favor. Well, and Harry even, <laughs> Harry even bitches about that in the book. About I know. How, about how I told him exactly what the task was, and and here he is telling me to take a bath. Like, I know. You know. I'm like, what the hell? My last little 
detail um, that I found really, really interesting was during Voldemort's speech in the graveyard, he makes this one specific comment. He says, I who have gone further than anybody along the path that leads to immortality. And when you've already like seen all the movies or read all the books, like you realize what he's talking about. But at the time you have no idea. But now like looking back on it, you realize he's talking about all the horcruxes that he's made. Mm -hmm. You know, like she's like JK Rowling is already setting this up way mm -hmm. like two books early, you know, and that's actually the quote that makes Dumbledore realize he's done more than just one. Mm -hmm that Voldemort's made more than just one Horcrux. Well, and the, fact that, and the fact that Tom Riddle was searching Horcruxes out even as far back as 16, 17 years old. Yeah. And, um, I think it really became that. And then just the ego that he had, you know, Dumbledore was right on the money to be looking for these extremely priceless magical objects, mm -hmm. you know, um, the cup, the crown, the, yeah. the locket the the snake i mean mm -hmm. you know, uh, nagini um just and then harry yep so do you have anything else to add justin no um i i, I could pick a book movie winner but like i told you in the beginning i think this is the best translation from book to movie <laughs> so um i'm totally happy with each of these um and and i it's gonna probably remain my favorite book it's it's one of them but it's not my favorite mine is definitely half-blood prince yeah it's not my favorite book either but that's not my favorite movie <laughs> but um all right so jen you want to take us in the last spot yes random facts of the day um since we had three different wizarding schools in these this book and movie i thought i would highlight a couple of the different ones in this harry potter universe in the wizarding world um so i found all of this on pottermore wizardingworld.com i think it actually is now um so there are actually 11 long established and prestigious wizarding schools worldwide so they start with the one in Africa, it is Wagadoo. <laughs> I think it's hilariously sound. It's actually spelled U-A-G-A-D-O-U, -A -A but it is pronounced Wagadoo. Um, it, although Africa has a number of smaller wizarding schools, there is only one that has stood the test of time, at least a thousand years, and achieved an enviable international reputation. The largest of all wizarding schools, it welcomes students from all over the enormous continent. The only address ever given is Mountains of the Moon. Visitors speak of a stunning edifice carved out of the mountainside and shrouded in mist so that it sometimes appears simply to float in midair. That's kind of cool. <laughs> the wand is a European invention, and while African witches and wizards have adopted it as a useful tool in the last century, many spells are cast simply by pointing a finger. Studies or students receive notice that they have gained entrance at Wagadu through dream messengers sent by the headmaster or headmistress of the day. The dream messenger will appear to the children as they sleep and will leave a token, usually an inscribed stone, which is found in the child's hand upon waking. 
No other school employs this method of pupil selection. So, and it's the only school that does not regularly use wands, I believe. <laughs> and then we have the Japanese school. Let's see if I can pronounce this correctly. <laughs> Mahutakoro. Mahutakoro. There we go. It is the smallest of the 11 wizarding schools and takes students from the age of seven, although they don't board until they are 11. And while day students, wizarding children are flown back and forth to their homes every day on the backs of a flock of giant storm petrels. Students are presented with enchanted robes when they arrive, which grow in size as they do, and which gradually change color as the learning of their wearer increases, beginning a faint pink color and beginning, if top grades are achieved in every magical subject, gold. If the robes turn white, this is an indication that the student has betrayed the Japanese wizard's code and adopted illegal practices, which in Europe is called dark magic. So it is like a disgrace to have your robes turn white um, and it will result in instant expulsion and a trial at the Japanese Ministry of Magic. It has a great outstanding reputation for Quidditch, which legend has it was introduced to Japan centuries, centuries ago by a band of foolhardy Hogwarts students who were blown off course during an attempt to circumnavigate the globe on wholly inadequate broomsticks. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. And then the we have, I'm sorry. I said the depth that some of this goes into. I know. <laughs> and then we have the Brazilian school for magic, Castelo Bruxo, which takes, takes students from all over South America and can be found hidden deep within the rainforest. It appears to be a ruin to the few muggle eyes that have ever fallen upon it. And it is an imposing square edifice of golden rock, often compared to a temple. Both building and grounds are protected by the Koporo, small and furry spirit beings who are extraordinarily mischievous and tricky, and who emerge under cover of night to watch over the students and the creatures who live in the forest. Hmm. That's a real, like, uh, you know, thing in Brazil. Like they really? really believe, they really believe in those Koporos. That's cool. <laughs> um, Castello Bruxu's students wear bright green robes and are especially advanced in both herbology and magizoology. And it, the school offers a popular exchange program for European students who wish to study the magical flora and fauna of South America. I, I was going to say that makes sense with them being in the middle of the rainforest. Yeah. So I wonder if Newt Scamander ever went there. <laughs> He is a magizoologist. <laughs> so, uh, Dermstring, Dermstring Institute. It once had the darkest reputation of all 11 wizarding schools, though this was never entirely merited. It is true that Dermstring, Dermstring, which has turned out many truly great witches and wizards, has twice in its history fallen under the stewardship of wizards of dubious allegiance or nefarious intent, and that it has one infamous ex-pupil the first of these unhappy men harfang munter took over the school shortly after the mysterious death of its founder the great bulgarian witch narada volkanova <laughs> i love these names 
Munter established Darmstein's rep- reputation for duel- dueling and all forms of martial magic, which remain an impressive part of its curriculum today. The second dark period in Darmstrang's history came with the headmastership of Igor Karkaroff, an ex-Death Eater who fled his post upon the return of exile from exile of Lord Voldemort. The ex-pupil who has done more than any other to cause damage to Darmstrang's reputation is Gellert Grindelwald, one of the most dangerous wizards of the 20th century. However, in recent years, Darmstrang has undergone something of a renaissance and has produced such international luminaries as international Quidditch star Victor Crumb. <laughs> Talking about this one, mm-hmm. is in Harry Potter, is the Black Lake or whatever it's called connected to an ocean? It's How is this confirmed. submarine wooden boat thing getting in and out? It's never confirmed. I think it has to do with, like, apparition or port keys. Yeah, it's never really confirmed, but, I mean, people kind of suspect that it has to be connected in some way because the ship comes up from underneath the lake, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's essentially a magical submarine. Yeah, so I'm not sure. Um... Okay, next we have Bobat. Is it Bobatton or Bobaton, Justin? Well, in the movie, he calls it Bobatton's. <clears throat> okay, well, Bobatton. Bobatton's Academy of Magic. Thought to be situated somewhere in the Pyrenees, visitors speak of the breathtaking beauty of a chateau surrounded by formal gardens and lawns created out of the mountainous landscape by magic. It has a preponderance of French students, though Spanish, Portuguese, Dutch, and Luxembourg and Belgians also attend in large numbers. It is said that the stunning castle and grounds of this prestigious school were partly funded by alchemist gold for Nicholas and Perenelle Flamel met at Beaubatons in their youth. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, Nicholas Flamel, I've I've seen that he was one of my most famous students. I'm assuming this is something in the book. Nicholas Flamel is the was the only known owner, um, not owner. The um, Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, the guy that created the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh. Okay, and then we have the American School, Ilvermorny School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So this one has a really long backstory that I'm not going to go into the entire thing. <laughs> I'm just going to do kind of how they choose their houses more. So it is, as might be expected of a school founded by a nomad or non-magical person, Ilvermorny has the reputation of being one of the most democratic, least elitist of all the great wizarding schools. While the rest of the school watches from the circular balcony overhead, new students file into the round entrance hall. They stand around the walls and one by one are called to stand on the symbol of the Gordian knot set into the middle of the stone floor. In silence, the school then waits for the enchanted carvings to react. And the carvings are the, the four different houses. If the horned serpent wants the student, the crystal set into its forehead will light up. If the wampus wants the student, it roars. The Thunderbird signals its approval by beating its wings, and the Pukwudgie 
will raise its arrow into the air. Wouldn't you like to be sorted into Puckwudgie House? <laughs> yeah, I read this too. Like, and Overmorning just totally seems like any of those boarding schools like you read about in the Northeast. Yeah. Like the one Should from the more... skulls. Yeah. <laughs> Should more than one carving signify its wish to include the student in its house, the choice rests with the student. It is sometimes said of the Overmorning houses, houses, excuse me, that they represent the whole witch or wizard. The mind is represented by the horned serpent, the body by the wampus, the heart by the puckwudgie, and the soul by the thunderbird. The sorting ceremony is not the only major difference between Hogwarts and Ilvermorny, though in so many ways the schools resemble each other. Once students have been allocated a house, they are led into a large hall where they, they select, or are selected by, a wand. Oh, so they get their wand at school instead of in a shop. Wands had to be left at Ilvermorny during vacations, and only upon attaining 17 years of age was the witch or wizard legally allowed to carry a wand outside of school. The robes of Ilvermorny are blue and cranberry. The colors honor Isolt and James, blue because it was Isolt's favorite color and because she had wished to be in Ravenclaw House as a child, and cranberry in honor of James's love of cranberry pie. <laughs> Those are the two founders. <laughs> All Ilvermorny students' robes are fastened by a gold Gordian knot in memory of the brooch is found in the ruins of the original Ilvermorny cottage. Interesting. So also just quick little tidbit about the backstory. Isolt is a descendant of, I believe, the Gaunts. The Gaunts. Yeah, the Gaunts. The Gaunts. Right. Yeah. Who are descendants of Salazar Slytherin. Mm -hmm. So she broke off and went to America, fell in love with a muggle or nomad. And then they formed, they founded Ilvermorny. And I just read one of their, their most famous ex-students is named Dorcas Twelve Trees. What a great name. Dorcas what? Twelve Trees. Dorcas Twelve Trees. Mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> what a great name. I love the names that she comes up with. Mm -hmm. They're amazing. So, yeah, those are our magical schools. Very cool, huh? Uh, we... <sighs> So this is a beat down. Which one was the the girl school in the movie again? Bobatton. Bobatton? Mm -hmm. Is the chick half giant? Yes. The headmistress? Yes. Yeah. She okay, is half, about half giantess. Half giantess. I was going to say, because there's no way she's not and she's taller than freaking Hagrid. Yes, she is. Yeah, no, she's even more giant than Hagrid. Like, Mm -hmm. so. Okay, I figured. Just mm -hmm. wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> no, just she is, sure. and, it, and it's finally described that way because I don't think they go into it in the movies, but in the books later on, uh, Dumbledore sends Hagrid and Madame Maxime on missions to the giants together. Yeah, in the movie, in the next movie, Order of the Phoenix, it's really only Hagrid that yeah is sent and comes but back. In, but, but in the, in book, the book, it's both of them. Madame Maxime is with him. Yeah. And they're reaching out to the Giants together. So, right. Justin, thank you for being on with us. Always a pleasure, especially about yes. these topics that I love. I know. Yes. Very, thank very you for fun. joining. It was definitely fun to, for me to hear insight from another voice on the books. You don't like my voice? 
<laughs> it's just another another point. I know I'm teasing. It. I'm not that much of an asshole. <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. That's why I said that much. <laughs> not that much of an asshole. But no, we Justin, will have you again. on again. Um, I think. I think you actually wanted to do another episode with us on like super supernatural creatures, like cryptozoology yeah. kind of thing. So we'll schedule that one sometime in the future as well. So it. look for that one eventually, guys. <laughs> but on our next episode, though, we're going to have kind of a conversation episode, kind of like the one I did with our cousin Pam, which is Justin's sister. <laughs> Um, where we kind of pick like four different topics and just kind of have a little chat about a couple different things. Um, and it's me and Troy are actually going to be joined by my daughter, Kenna. So I'm super excited. It's going to be her first episode. And actually, Justin, since your daughter is in town staying with us, she might actually join too. Same. That would be fun, but a surprise. I can't see her. <laughs> she said she would let me know if she wanted to. So like she said a, she would think about it. She's definitely not the public uh, presence that I am. I know. I know. She said she would think about it and let me know. So, uh, yeah, but awesome. we're going we're gonna to have fun little conversation about like social media, travel, dating. And then we have some super fun, funny, random questions to ask each other at the end. So. I'm kind of excited about that. It should be a fun one to have with my daughter. So it's, it's going to be it. fun for me to pick her brain with random questions just to see what she comes up with. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's going to be interesting as well to get a teenager's point of view on things like dating and social media and things like that, you know, cause she is, I mean, she'll, she's turning 16 next week. So she is right in the middle of her teen years and she grew up with social media as well. So, yes. you know, It'll, I think it'll be, be so really much different from what we experienced. Exactly. Yeah. So I think it's going to be really, really fun and interesting to get her perspective on those topics. So yeah. I'm excited. So yeah. catch, you know, check out that one, guys. That should be out in about two weeks. So I can't wait. Yeah. But thank, thank you guys for again. tonight. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. No, thank you. Guys. Uh, Jay, appreciate you joining us again. And everyone Sorry about the dogs out. barking so much, guys. <laughs> it's okay. My Everybody fault. loves puppers. We love them, though. <laughs> yeah, they are. Everyone, thanks again for listening. Check us out on our socials. Check the website. And uh, leave us some comments. Have a conversation with us if you feel like it. Yeah. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye.